This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 505 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation. On the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and TotalSaddleFit.com. Today, we have a great show that includes discussions with top rider and manager at Strand Dressage, Ulf Muller, as well as freestyle choreographer, Beth Hall, and we're going to answer our listener question for the Total Saddle Fit Trainer Tip. Koffler Stanfield from Wellington, Florida. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing, Reese? <laughs> doing great. Oh, it is nice. a bit busy here this week, which is great. We're actually recording early because we have a we have two horse shows this week, which doesn't happen very often, but we're we have a recognized show and a schooling show. So really everyone's showing on some level this week. <laughs> which is fun. You're going to be running around. Yeah, a little bit, but again, it's so fun to do it. We're we're kind of we're mid mid we have a couple more weeks, so we have lots of stuff going on. So, it's been quite fun. So, we're enjoying that for sure. Okay, okay. Well, what else is going on in, uh, in Florida? It's a great week. So this week is actually Nations Cup week. So we'll have lots of fun things to talk about at the next show. So, but it's Monday, actually recording a little bit early this week, just just because of the craziness. But we did have some great news from the Adequan Dressage, Global Dressage Festival, week nine. And last week was a CPEDI three-star. And I am super pleased to report that the U.S., they had a high all-time high team score, which was fantastic, with ba- David Botana, Rebecca Hart, Kate Schumacher, and Roxanne Trunnell. Uh, they earned a cumulative score of 441.488, largely part of all the riders had career highs. I think it was very, very good. And the Canadians were beh- um, not that far behind, but 408. So that was fantastic. So it was really a, a great week. I was able to go to a, a lovely celebration for the WEG team, for the para, uh, and the, all the medals that were won. So it was, it's been a quite fun week with the para team. So keep an eye on our team. We're, we're getting really ready for Tokyo, which is really cool. Fantastic. So what do we have on the show for this week? Yeah, so we're going to start off. We've got a great discussion. We have a two-part discussion, actually, with Beth Hall. She is a freestyle choreographer, and we're going to go through all the lower-level tests. That was a request from one of our listeners, all the lower-level freestyle tests as well for 2019. So enjoy the part one of a two-part series. Well, I am very excited tonight to have Beth Hall. She is the owner of Woodwind Studios that does custom freestyles along with Music Cur, which does catalog freestyles. And Beth is here to talk to us tonight about lower level freestyles. Beth, welcome to the show. Hi, Reese. Thanks for having me. I am so happy to have you because we work with you. You have been so wonderful with us and work with multiple of my students and along with me. And, and we made it to the national championships on our first level freestyle and just debuted a second level freestyle last week. 
with Pam, Pam McKees, Marcus, and it, it went quite well. And so you're, you're a pleasure to work with. And, and I was really thankful that you were able to come on and chat with us. Well, thank you. And I'm glad you're having that kind of success with your freestyle. They're very fun, and, and I enjoy freestyles, And but it's also, I'm not somebody that is musically inclined, so I have to work with someone like yourself. And But what I love about your, your company is you're able to get freestyles for all levels, Grand Prix to, to, you don't do a lot of training levels, but Grand Prix to the lower levels, and custom, and also with ones that are already made. Is that correct? That's right. I think it's so. Fantastic. There are a lot of ways to go. It can be as custom as you want. Well, and I think that's so fantastic. So we're going to talk a little bit about training level freestyles. I think this is a relatively new level, isn't it, for everybody? It is. Yeah. And so, what are some of the requirements? I when I think it was added, not in the 2019, but maybe in the previous test. Yeah, it's pretty new. And and so, what are yeah. some requirements that you need to do when you do a training level freestyle? Basically, it's a circle in each direction at trot and canter. And you are required to show a serpentine and trot with loops no smaller than 15 meters. So if you have a horse with good bend, you can show the four loop serpentine. I would say rather than trying to do mirror image, If you need to add time to your trot, I would add a different type of serpentine, something like maybe a quarter-line serpentine, so that you show it in two different ways. It also requires the stretchy circle. I personally think this is so much of a training exercise. I don't like to see it in the test. I would never include it in a higher-level test. Even if the horse was very good at it, just like I wouldn't include halt and rein back or walk parallels, but mm-hmm. it is a requirement. Got it. That makes sense. And and so so just from the basic level, like how do you find the requirements at each level? How do how do you find that? Um, well, if you go to the USDF forms and documents, it will show all of the 2019 tests including the freestyle test. Absolutely. And there's also a checklist. I think you sent this to me. <laughs> I somehow got it. A checklist for freestyle riders and its rules and what you need to know. Correct? There's a whole um, document. Yeah, I think it is. I have just, I think it's under that same that same you really do need to go into the USDF website and sort of look at all the documents that, that yeah, they have there. You really want the USDF rules, guidelines, and definitions, and it's training through fourth level. And yeah, you type in Chapter 8A. Chapter 8A. it comes up as a PDF. PDF yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. I think, I think you actually sent it to me because I printed it out. And, and it has the compulsory elements at all the levels, the forbidden elements, and then, yeah. and then additionally allowed. Yeah, and you need to be very, very careful about the transitions. They're not specific, but like at training and first level, you can't do anything like a walk to canter transition without intervening steps of trot, and you will get a deduction. Yeah, yeah. And don't try those forbidden movements. They're forbidden. Don't try them. <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't don't say it's entirely clear in the guidelines. They have cleaned it up a little bit in the last year, 
but you see, still need to be careful about the transitions. Mm-hmm. And especially- I, I would say at training level, one problem you're going to encounter is endurance at the canter. I wouldn't show less than a minute and a half of canter, but if you're riding a true young horse coming up to training level, I think you might want to split the canter into two different segments and ride something like trot, canter, walk, canter, and end in trot. You might even want to do that at first level. But at training level, you might also be riding one of those good old school horses, and training level is his specialty, and he could go for two minutes at canter. So I think that's an important thing to look at at training level is what kind of endurance do you really have for the canter? That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And and these are things, you know, Beth, when you work with her or another choreographer, they make, they know the rules. I am, you know, I, I don't know the rule, you know, and you can read them, but it is really (laughs) helpful to, to have somebody who knows kind of what's going on because that is, that is a bit of a challenge sometimes. So. And yeah. And you don't want the horse, if he starts to get tired, tipping more and more to the forehand and going faster and faster before you can finish the canter, it would be better to keep it in balance, go to the walk, and then go back to the canter in balance. That makes sense. So now, in 2019, there is a rule that's on the books at the moment that you need a 63% at all levels to be eligible to ride a freestyle, correct? Yes. Yeah. So you have to ride a technical. You can't just, uh, and it's the highest test of the level. So if you're riding a uh, training level, it has to be a training level test three, first level, first level test three, et cetera. So you right. have to make sure that you, you get those, that you do that before you enter and you have to, and, and I'm just making sure Beth, you have to have a copy of that test from a recognized show when you enter the freestyle. So, yeah. You're, you it's, it's been a long time that you've had to submit proof that you have the qualifying score. Mm-hmm. So once you get that test in your hands, you need to be very careful with yeah, it. Don't lose it. <laughs> Copy yeah. it and be ready to send it in. <laughs> maybe, exactly. take, maybe take a right. picture of it on your yeah, phone. Yeah, take a picture. Like, make sure right. you got it because you're going to have to send it in to, to right. ride it. Yep. Fantastic. Well, I think we are ready for first level. Can we can we move okay. on to uh, what are the requirements at first level freestyle after you've gotten your technical 63% and then what are we eligible to do in the choreography? Okay, you're required to do 10 meter circles in trot, 15 meter at canter, legule left and right at trot, lengthen the stride in trot and canter, and change of lead through trot. They have changed the requirements for lengthening medium extended. You are now required to show it on a straight line. You're allowed to show it on a bending line, but you won't get a technical score that way. It would only count towards choreography. So I think that's the big change in these new tests. And talk a little bit about, I mean, you know, you've got to be able to do the technical movements that you design, right? I mean, you've got to be kind of careful with that. It's It's a real tightrope that you do want to show the maximum difficulty of which that horse is capable without losing ease of movement. And I think it's the ease of movement you have to be very careful about. It would be better to drop a little difficulty and show that the horse can perform it easily 
and with competence rather than struggle with the difficulty. I have a system. I, I develop questionnaires at every level that I send to writers when I'm designing the choreography. And I write down every single way that you could potentially perform a movement and I have them score it one to five with five being the best possible way for that horse to do it. Not necessarily the most difficult, just the best. And then when I design choreography, I'm trying to string together one five to the next, to the next, to the next, so that the entire choreography shows that horse doing everything in the best way for him. And it's easy to do if you're designing your own choreography. Just think through all the ways, say, that leg yields could be shown and say, that's a one. I can't possibly do it. That's a five. We're great at that. So that on your own, you start to do the same thing. That makes sense. And, and that's important because you have to be able to do it a couple times. I mean, you know, you're, you're going to live with this freestyle a while. And I've had that challenge where, you know, we do it here in Florida and then maybe we don't do it again till the regional championships in September. So that is yeah. always a, a challenge, you know, to try to, to make sure that you're getting it sort of right and, and that you can grow with the freestyle. And, you know, it, it, it definitely can be a tightrope, especially like right now, it's still kind of early in the season. We feel like it's yeah. not because we've been doing it a while now down here, but, you know, it's still early. So, you know, that's always been a challenge. And when you do the change of lead through the trot, you have to do it mm-hmm. left and right, correct? You have to do it both directions. Correct. Yes. You have to show it both ways. Well, which makes sense. So again, you know, there's that tightrope balance between what you're doing technically and what you're doing artistically and how you sort of marry the two. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. At first level and at second level, it's a simple change. But one of the difficulties of the lower levels is that it's very hard to change directions at canner. Once you hit third level and you've got a flying change, you can kind of move the horse around at will and show a lot of bend changes because you've got that flying change in your pocket. It's a little more awkward at training to second level because that change through the trot, the trot steps aren't going to sync up with music. It just feels a little awkward. But you might have to do those changes more than once in, in order to show enough variety in the canter so it's not all left lead, left lead, left lead, and then you go do the right lead, and then you're out of it. So ideally, you do have good balance changes of lead through the trot at first level. Yeah, that makes total sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, uh, again, yeah. if you don't, it, uh, it's expensive. You know, it's expensive, and it looks funny, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and yeah. You su- I had this uh, cat- catch me once. I was trying to do it very artistically to the music, but it's still the change of lead through the trot still three to five steps. And yeah. I was trying to be very artistic and that was my one moment, shining moment to do that. And, and it wasn't, it, you know, I got, I got, my technical score went way down because, you know, I was trying uh-huh. to write it to the music, but you always have to remember the technical sort of trumps everything else. And so that's really important that you remember three to five steps on that change of lead through the trot. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> so yeah. you, uh, need, yeah. you need a little bit of runway to work, you know, to be able yeah. to work with that because you think, oh, I'll well, be really smart can, and do it across somewhere, and then it's like awkward and strange and yeah, weird. You can buy yourself a little leeway in that by p- 
putting the phrase change at the point you trot and not encasing it within a phrase so that you do need to trot on the phrase, but where you come out of it is a little bit looser. Some horses are just spot on consistent. I see some horses, it's always four steps or always five steps. But if you're not sure about that and you want some leeway, then don't put an eight point in the music for that change of lead through the trot. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, this is why I have Beth, because it kind of went over <laughs> my head. She, she, but, she yes. helps you to not make so many mistakes. Yes. <laughs> like, do what Beth just said. That is exactly what you want to do. <laughs> and as, as far as difficulty, I do like to see a rider project ahead a little bit. Like, what you do in the spring might seem a little bit too easy at the regional championships and really too easy at the national finals. So maybe challenge yourself a little bit now, knowing that in six months, you know you'll have it. I find that especially with juniors, they tend to really underestimate what they can do. And six months down the road, they're sorry. And they're a little bit stuck unless they re-edit the music. Because once that music is edited to fit, that's your freestyle. Hmm. Yeah, you're unchanging it. Or you can, but it's a pain. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm like, you can, well, but... Ex- you know, it's expensive, too. Yeah, so. exactly. It's expensive. It, change- it changes things a lot, for sure. For yeah, sure. yeah. Well, fantastic. On the first level. So let's move. I, I am currently very familiar with second-level freestyles. So... You are, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> really, because Beth has educated me. But to, Beth, tell us what we're looking for at second level. Okay, you start to have more fun at second level. There's just more you can do. They have changed the requirements this year. It used to be travers or ronvers. Now it's strictly travers. So you show shoulder in right and left, travers right and left. And ronvers is allowed, but to me, that is just enough lateral work already. I wouldn't add ronvers personally. Medium trot on a straight line, medium canter on a straight line, and then the simple change of lead, which is the canter walk canter to the right and the left. And you also show counter canter right and left. And this is that's really where you can add some difficulty. I had a client last season insert a five-loop serpentine in counter canter which scared me a little, but she was great at it, and she won the national finals with it. So if you can make a 12-meter turn, you can. that's a place you can really add difficulty. <laughs> I'm laughing because my horse couldn't, and we had, a, we had a pretty tight serpentine loop in there, and I was like, uh, uh, Beth, I cannot do that. Like, no. And I didn't have the luxury. I had to, like, show it the next week. So I was like, yeah, that's not happening. We have got to take that out. So I'm, I'm kind of laughing on a personal note because I was, I was like, oh, no. Uh, but it is true. I mean, I, I, we enjoyed the second level because there was – you could start to say, okay, okay, Beth, like, we're good at this. We're not good at this. You know, what, yeah. can, what can you do? Or, or, and, and you had a couple freestyles already done and what I just couldn't ride. I mean, it was just too hard for where we were. Yeah. And you really have to yeah. step back and say, you know, 
we're not prepared for that. <laughs> and, and the technical score <laughs> w- wouldn't go down. And, and so again, I would not recommend to do what we did, which was a fairly tight time frame. What is the normal time frame you like people to, not the frame we did, to, to prepare their freestyles? Because this does take a while, especially if you're not, you haven't done them before. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it depends on the time of year because I'm so booked. So I have to look at my production schedule and where I could fit you in. But I would say in a perfect world, at least give it two months because I find sometimes people have glitches they don't expect. Like you do have to film your choreography. And if you're not set up to film and you're not used to it and you don't know how you're going to upload it, give yourself a little bit of time to sort that kind of thing out. If there's going to be any conflict between you and your trainer about what that horse can actually do, <laughs> give yourself a little, well, <laughs> that's that's sorry, yeah. Yeah, give no, yourself that's, time if you want, that's to really look great. at the choreography yeah. and tweak it and make sure it's what is going to work. Yeah, no, that's a great point, especially if you're working with a trainer, you know, or, or if you're working with a rider and you're the owner, yeah. you know, that, that you, yeah. it does have to really work together as a team with Beth yeah. because it is, you know, sometimes everybody's expectations are a little bit different or their music's a little bit different or et cetera. Yeah. And it is important to work together especially, you know, a lot of times it does, it, it is a time consuming process. And I can tell you that yeah. from a personal experience, it is a time consuming thing. And then it takes a while to learn them. And if you're not used yeah. to learning a particular freestyle or have a method to do that, then um, yeah. that can be, that can also, so that's why giving yourself some time, you know, sometimes that doesn't work, but you know, what if your horse has an abscess and you have a week off and then, you know, that right. shoots best production or whoever you're using's production schedule back. Yeah. So, you know, there, 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 there are some, some harder things when you think of freestyles. They, they are not actually easy to talking from, from <laughs> personal experience recently, but you know, there's, there's a lot to do and, and we did it here in Florida and we're joking, but in Florida, there's just a lot going on. So you may have a horse show, yeah. so you have to stop. And, you know, we in our case, we had to get a technical score. And then we were hoping we would have it ready, but we hadn't, didn't, we got the technical score. But, you know, there's just a lot of things that, that sort of creep up on you. So you have to really pay attention to that. But And but, sometimes you are so confident you want one style of music. And then when you actually, I'll sync it up with video so you can see the selections and see how they work. Sometimes you see it, and it's not what you imagined in your mind. And you just want a different style of music, so it turns into a little bit of a process. Mm-hmm. Or like you said, it's a little bit of music choices by committee. There could be an owner and a rider and a trainer and a parent involved. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's better to just let it, let it be a process. Let it mm-hmm. take some time. Yep. Yep. And then just to kind of wrap up the second level, the half turn on the haunches, have you ever done those in a freestyle? It is like throwing out an anchor while the freestyle sails on without you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I was going to, I was like, I I saw in the additionally allowed and I was like, Ooh, I don't care how good it is. (laughs) It could be the best thing your horse does. Don't do it. it. For one thing, (laughs) It takes a lot of time when I'm doing junior freestyles where it's a requirement. 
I have to add 15 to 20 seconds of walk just to fit it in. And think about what you could do that would be dramatic in 15 to 20 seconds. You could blast an extension across the diagonal just in 10 seconds. And that's going to create more of a performance than inserting something that basically is standing still and that you're not going to get a technical score on anyway. You're just really trying to build one technical score to another, to another, to another. No, it makes sense. Yeah, I I have no idea why anybody, you would want to do it. It, But, yeah, 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 I I don't know. Um, And that is another thing. The time requirements at the lower levels, what is it? It's a maximum of five minutes, and there's no minimum, which is very helpful. I wouldn't go under four minutes. I think you want to at least show that the horse is fit enough and athletic enough to at least go four minutes without stopping. That makes sense. And I I think you want to show a little creativity, which takes a little bit more time. If you simply insert the technical movements one time and that's it, you're just not allowing yourself room to pad it with a little bit of originality. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing. If you do things twice, you you get two technical scores, and that score is averaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. So if you okay. do it twice, be pretty sure you're doing it in ways where you'll get an equal score both times. Right, right, which makes total sense. And it's why it's it's the problem I have with putting mediums on the bending line. Mm. I'm not convinced that most horses can produce it to the same level as the straight line. So why get a seven and a six when you could potentially get two sevens? Yeah, absolutely. Makes total sense. And just a reminder, you know, at second level, the forbidden is any movement or transition found in tests above the level, except that are listed and additionally allowed. Just turn on the four, half turn on the haunches, Ron Bear's medium canner and or trot on a curve line. So, but importantly, you can't halt and canter off. You nope, have to insert do some steps of trot. Fantastic. Well, Beth, thank you so much for coming on and going through these levels with us. They are fun. It is a process. So if you're going to take it on, you know, enjoy the process because it, it's a process. But Beth, how can our <laughs> listeners find you online? In two places. I am at www.woodwindstudios.com and www.musiker.com, M-U-S-I-K-U-R. And if what you want is lower cost, look at Musiker. If you, what you want is the absolute full Monty custom freestyle, go to Woodland Studios. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Beth. All right. Thank you, Reese. Well, right after this commercial break from Kentucky Performance Products, we'll come back with Ulf Muller. He is the manager of Helga Strand Dressage in America. They had been together for years, since he was just a colt. When he got stubborn, she would gently coax him on. When he got scared, she would reassure him and stroke him gently on the neck. She spent hours building his confidence, his strength, his balance, teaching him to dance. Pirouette, passage, piaf, the final salute. The crowd jumped to its feet and cheered. It was the moment that it's been a lifetime training for. But all she could think about was how special he was and how she loved him. This love story is brought to you by Endure Extra, 
providing high-fat calories, direct-fed microbials, and natural vitamin E to support optimal condition and performance. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. Well, this evening, it is our pleasure to have Ulf Muller on. He is a world champion, young horse rider, amazing trainer, and he's here in America as manager of Helga Strand Dressage. Ulf, welcome to the program. Yeah, welcome from my side. <laughs> We're, we, we have, Philip and I met you many years ago at the Young Horse Trainers Conference, the first year at Scott Hassler's, and I can't remember what year it was, but I will never forget, I was had never been exposed to training young horses, and to watch you come in and, and train the horses was, it was quite an experience, so it's fun to have you on several years later. Thank you very much. So, Ulf, tell us a little bit, just to start the interview, about yourself and your history, because it's a really very, very interesting history in the horse sport. Yeah, but it's a, it's a very easy thing. You know, my father, he started breeding horses, and so I was from from a young boy on. I was riding young horses and showed them also for the Pferden auction, because at that time that was the most prestigious thing, that you can have a horse at the Pferden auction. Then Mr. Köhler, who was the founder of the Pferden Auction, he asked me if I would like to ride auction horses in the Pferden Auction, and for sure I love to do this. <laughs> then over this, I got contact to Mr. Rebein, who was at that time the best professional trainer, rider in, I would say, worldwide. Herbert Rebein, unfortunately, died too early. Then my parents want me to study, and it was not my plan. But as a good son, as a good son, I, I said, okay, I will do it. But then I want to study veterinary medicine. Then I got a place, so I studied. But I went went on riding young horses in the fair and auction. And, and in, when I finished my studies, when I had my doctor title, I started to work full time for fair as a sales manager. I did this five years. So in total, I was there 15 years. Then Mr. Kasselmann from the famous PSI auction asked me if I would not like to start working for him. And for me, it was another big step forward. So I said, yes, I would like to do this. I did this for nearly 19 years. And, and then the next step to, to develop and in my age now is not so much time anymore. So <laughs> then I had the chance to work for Andreas Hextrand. And I think everyone could see now how how busy he is and how active and how much forward he is to, to bring the whole horse bird on, on, on the next level. And I'm proud that I can be a part of this. And now I'm there for two years now. And yeah, and we'll go on as long as I can. So that's my life <laughs> in very short words. Yeah. I, I think Good. it's important to emphasize that you did graduate as a veterinarian because you are also a veterinarian as, as well as, as riding. I think that must have been a very busy time in your life. Yeah, but I call myself always an academic veterinarian because I have no knowledge. And when you also see in this what developed in the last 20 years in the veterinary world, with all these machines and, and, and things what they have. So if you are not always into this, you are very much behind. So for me, I have this title as a doctor, and maybe I can read an X-ray, but that's it. 
I would never call myself a vet as a real in comparison to all the good vets. Okay. So of one of the things we really wanted to chat with you as well was some of your favorite exercises, starting with young horses. So starting with three-year-olds, and we're going to go through four, five, and six-year-olds. What's your favorite couple exercises and expectations for a three-year-old? Yeah, okay. With the three-year-old, you don't do so many exercises. What we normally do, and I think that's quite a good plan, we start them riding in spring, and then we try that, that we can ride after some days, walk, trot, canter around, mostly indoors. And when this is working, and then you can sit on the horse without problem, very often when they are not stallions, we send them back to the field, send them back outside and start again in autumn because otherwise it gets too too boring for the horses because there's not, not so much you can do. The other thing is with the stallions, because it's a little bit more difficult to send them outside. So there you go on riding, but also it's mainly really that you ride around, walk, trot, canter with a little bit control that you can like really easily start or do transitions. But there's not really a program. It's like always, the horse tells you a little bit how much the horse is able to do. When you are a good trainer, you are able or you listen to the horse and then the horse tells you what to do. When they got four-year-old, then it depends a little bit what your plan is with the horse. If you want to do like to a four-year-old championship, then you have to train the lessons. And I think we are now in a big advantage that we have this international test for four, five, six, and now also seven-year-olds, which are the same everywhere in the world because they are FDI tests. And I think that's a good thing that this test tell you what a horse normally should do in this age. Yeah, And that, I think, is a very good guideline. Because everywhere in the world, people have fear that they do too much with the horses. And so I think that's a quite a good guideline. It's not a must that a horse, let's say a six-year-old horse, is doing a flying change now and today. But it should be a guideline that a horse during his life as a six-year-old should have a confirmed flying change, for example. Yeah, yeah and, and I love that. I love that you said that because it's a guideline. It doesn't mean it has yeah. to happen. And that was one of the things we talked a lot about when we all studied with, with you and Scott and Michael at the Young Horse Conference was what horses should go in that route and what horses, you know, do you listen to the rider and listen to them? And I, you always stress that to all of us, which I think was really good. But there is an international guideline of what can happen. So I think that that's, that's really a cool point that you made. Fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a very important thing, you know, like, like uh, very often you see that people do too less. It's also a problem, you know, because horses are like kids when they learn better when they are young. And the older they get, the more difficult it gets for them to learn. So and often do you see five and six year old horses and they do they know nothing because the owner, the trainer thinks he is doing too much or the horse is not developed enough or whatever. But I think the horses they develop with work and not without work. That's my Yeah, I think it's important to keep them interested in doing new things and maybe not yeah. drilling the movements or drilling flying changes, but try it when the horse feels good, see what happens. You know, and uh, for me that really makes me helps me to have a plan about how I'm going to train the horse in the next three weeks, for instance, if I try something difficult, a flying change. Well, I think we use we use the flying changes a lot because it sort of it helps to confirm the horse's 
balance and all those things. But so I say, I try a flying change. It doesn't happen. That doesn't matter for me, but I, I sort of get an, an idea about where the horse is in their training and where they need to go to next yep. to make some, you know, something like a, a more upper level movement more successful later on. So I think that's, that's how I sort of look at these things in when, when I'm dealing with young horses. Yeah. For me, it's important that when you start something new on, let's say on Monday and you have really a little bit troubles or problem, but that everything is fine on Friday. And then you know that your work was good and that the, the way you are on is the right way. And I think that's very important that you also feel after a while. And if, if you don't come to this feeling, then you really have to think if you maybe have to change your plans and, and go a different way. Yeah, yeah I think that's important in, in understanding horses and just being a thoughtful rider. I had a question about breeding a little bit because we had talked you know, yeah. about how how long you know long that you've been involved in the sport and the auctions and you've seen i'm sure thousands and thousands of young horses so uh, what do you think about the breeding because i think there's a lot of discussion now about like we're breeding better and better dressage horses are they becoming easier to train or you know more the same with more ability and gates or you know what are your thoughts there on that we have in in the last 20 years there is like a such a big jump forward in the horse breeding, which I think never happened before. 20 years ago, I rode Sandro Hitch in the World Championships, and people, they looked at him like a world wonder, world wonder number eight, because he has this <laughs> nice trot. But now every second horse is trotting like this. And so that is really nice swinging, supple trot with a lot of front leg. It's now normal, and at that time, it was totally a new thing. In, in the last 20 years, they've developed so much. So the breeders, they did so many nice things for us. It makes the training so easy. Like we have this uphill horses. We have to ride our horses now deep. 20 years ago, if we rode a horse deep, we had to fear down to, that we would not get it up again. And now <laughs> uh, we only have to take care that we ride them down and deep and over the back. And I think that's much, much easier for most of the riders to, to ride a horse a little bit deeper. So I think the breeders did really, really a lot of things for us. And also when you look at the marks now, today, let's say, 75, 80 is, is quite normal. Yeah. And when Dr. Rainer Klinke won with Arlerich in, in the Olympic Games, he won with the 69, 69-something. Yeah. So that yeah. is also yeah. a development from the breeders, from the yeah. breeding, from the potential of the horses. So, so that's fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. So if when you talk about, you know, developing a young horse and looking for qualities for an FEI horse, what are some things that you look for? Yeah, <laughs> that's a very good question. <laughs> yes, I know. That, Taking that notes right so, now. Yeah, it's so difficult to, to describe. Let's say what you need for sure is you need three gates. You need a walk, a trot, a canter. You don't need it too, with too much ground cover, not too big, but nice uphill with a nice lift of the front legs. But what is the same important, and for sure you need confirmation and then good legs and all this, it's not last long enough. But what is also for sure the same important is uh, the, the interior, the head, the willingness, the trainability, the, yeah, also the understanding from the horse to repeat and repeat and repeat without getting too bored. And that there's really the horse willing to, to, yeah, 
to do this. I always say there are for sure more people or more young people in the world they can they can run as fast as Ujin Bolt. But not everyone wants to live without pit and drinks and parties and whatever. And that's the same with the horses. There are for sure so many talented horses in the world, but they have to have the right interior and they have to ride or to find the right rider and the people, the person who understands them, and then they will become a brilliant horse. But there's a lot of things which have to fit together. Yeah. And, and some luck in there too, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> in the end, <laughs> luck is most of the things because, <laughs> like I said, the horse has to stay sound. The, the whole way has to work out. There's a lot of luck. Yeah. yeah. And I always smile a little bit about these people that they see they see a three-year-old horse and say, this will be the next Grand Prix horse. <laughs> From, it can maybe become a Grand Prix horse, but for me, a Grand Prix horse is a horse which at least gets in this high lessons like Piaf and Passage, and this is what makes a big difference. At least sevens. Yeah, that 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 is for me a Grand Prix horse, not a horse which is maybe going in a horse show with three competitors and makes a sixty-two, and then you say, "Wow, look, now I have the next top Grand Prix horse." Yeah. yeah? For sure. It's the quality of the gates, the quality of the of the thing lessons, like Piaf and Passage. This is for me a, a Grand Prix horse when the horse is able to do this walk, uh, this Piaf Passage and good transitions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if we can literally listen to you all afternoon, but you've been so generous <laughs> with your time. And also, no you know, problem. just something, you know, you host events in the winter at Helgestrand and they're typically, they're free of charge. You can go and we saw you last or two weeks ago, you did an event and it's just very cool to see the training. So if people are down next year, I'm, I have a feeling you'll probably do it again. But how yeah. can our listeners find you online if they're interested about what you're doing here in America? Yeah. Yeah, we are also working on this. We are also really trying to, to build up a little bit like a network that people get more information. The first time we did an open house with training, it worked really good. We had a lot of people. The last time, the communication was not good enough, but also this, we will be better. We will have it on, on the website. And I think today also when you have something at Facebook, it will spread out to everyone yes. and, and all of the people will, will read it. And I think also here in our community in Wellington, people talk about it and then they, they the one person informs the next person. So <laughs> I think we will make it. Word what travels what fast really, there. Yeah. 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 And what I really like is that we do it for free. Yes. Because I, I can really see how hungry the people are for, for this information, for this education. And okay, we, we our first idea is that we sell horses, but we also want to show the people that, that we have good horses, that they build up confidence to us. And I must say, always after these open houses, we had more more interest from people, more emails, more uh, requests. So I think it, it's it, we for sure we will go, go on doing this. Fantastic. Sure. But like you said, it's for yeah. free. And so, you know, check out the website and Facebook as well, Helga yeah. Strand yeah. so that you can yeah. find out when it is, because we knew we knew about it. I don't know. Same thing. Someone told me about it and, and we went over. But it's really cool that it's for free and you can go and watch really, really amazing training and really, really amazing horses and riders. So, Ulf, again, thank you so much for no coming problem. on the show. We really appreciate yes. it. And uh, we'd love to do it again sometime. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs>
thank you, Will. Thank you. Bye. 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 Well, Phil, I still loved our interview we had with Justin from Total Saddle last week about the stability stirrup leathers. If you didn't get a chance, it's Justin's so cool, and he's he talked about how he actually developed these stirrups and why they're the leather they are and the width they are. And Phil, you and I are both using these stirrup leathers, and I love them. How about you? I've been having a fantastic experience, you know, in comfort and in and their ability to help your legs stay quieter. So we thank Justin for coming on our show and talking about them, but also thank him for his great products and the girths and the pads and everything at Total Saddlefit now comes on with free shipping for the next little while. That's what he was talking about also. So you can have a free trial, you can have free shipping, you know, check out all their products at totalsaddlefit.com. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. So, Phil, you've got a fantastic Total Saddle Fit tip of the week for us, or a question. I don't actually know what it is, so what is it? Well, this came to us through our Facebook, and I think it's pretty great when we get questions through our Facebook, and we can we can try and tackle So. Here's this question from Lisa. Many times over the years, transitions, lots of transitions as part of our talk and training solutions. But what does that mean exactly in terms of quantity? How do I know how many transitions and how frequently do I do I ride these transitions? So I yeah, I think let's I'll just throw it to you. There's a lot more to this question, but I think we can just cover it by talking about the, the transition problems. Absolutely. So I think this is Lisa from Minnesota. So I'm going to give a shout out to her because she's fantastic. And I, and I went up to that group and did a clinic in November. So shout out to Lisa. She's a dedicated listener and, and a great person. So shout out to you. So I also know that, that her, her pony that we're talking about, but, you know, really the thing about transitions is they are really to develop muscle and also help with horses balance. So it's a great how much is always the question, right? I think that's a little bit where you have to come in as a rider, feel how your horse is doing. You know, it's really hard to say, you know, today was a Monday for my almost Grand Prix horse and he did a lot of transitions. That was sort of my goal, but I am actively trying to build his strength, to build his strength in his back and to build his rebalancing. So he's doing a lot of transitions right now, but he also is, you know, it is, it is, we're full blown work right now. So the horses are quite fit, knock on wood, everything's going well. And so we're doing a lot of transitions, but and I, I taught some lessons this morning. And again, I'm working with pretty fit horses. And we did a lot of transitions. Again, knowing that we wanted to strengthen these horses' backs and, and we wanted to get them, you know, we're, we're trying to step up a level or, or getting more confirmed at a certain level. So I would just say, as you think about riding transitions, you know, think about, it's like doing a squat at the gym. There's a certain point where you can do tons of squat. You know, you can, you know, for me, I have also had an injury, that type of thing. Like I can't, if I am working on squats, I can't go out and say, I'm going to do a hundred of them. You know, maybe today I do five and tomorrow I do six and then I take an easier day and then I can do a few more. So I think it's important to think of, of transitions also as horses having to carry more weight 
and sit a little bit more behind. So it can make them sore. So you've got to listen to your horse. You've also got to think about, are they transitions within the gate? Are they transitions between the gates? Those are all important uh, things to think about as you do them. But transitions are really important. I think they need to be done you know, kind of have an idea in your mind of a methodical way of thinking about how many you're doing so that you don't just go out and do a hundred and make your horse sore. But in general, I think you can really think about that as you're, as you're riding along. Phil, what do you think? So we do talk about a lot of transitions, you know, every time we're discussing training problems, I think you have to do transitions with an idea of what you're trying to fix in mind or what you're trying to accomplish with them. So, you know, let's just talk about the lower levels, a training level horse or a first level horse. You know, when I do my stretch work, you know, to, to begin my ride, um, you know, walk, trot, canter, I do transitions to make sure the horse is listening to my forward aids and my backwards aids. So maybe they aren't going to be the best balanced transitions, but I want to know that the horse is, is going to go forward when I ask. So, you know, I'm walking around on a longer rein, maybe even a loose rein, depending on the horse. And then I put my leg on. I want to feel a reaction. Right, and then I'm going along and try, and you know I give a little half up with my seat, or I give a little a little contact on the reins, and I want to know that they're listening, going to come back to me. So I think that's kind of the most basic kind of transition. You're doing them between gates. Um, normally I do four or five between walk and trot, and then for the younger horses I like to do a lot more to get the trot canter transition is really a great way mm-hmm. to get your energy going and get that horse loosened up. So I would do probably four or five on each side as far as those, you know, kind of on a 20 meter circle or in, a, in on a curve somewhere, you know, and then, and then, you know, get, they get another walk break and then I pick up the reins and then now I'm just, you know, I've kind of got a plan for the ride, what I want to do with the horse. And I also have to have a plan for what I want to do with transitions. So if I'm trotting around and uh, working, you know, trot to halt, I'd like to do that transition early on again, just get the horse listening. Then I have to have an idea of, you know, what's the normal, idea that the horse has what's his normal problem and i just do a transition trot to halt um some horses are crooked some horses don't come with enough energy into it so as you know i just do an evaluation transition and i go oh you know that wasn't very good or that was pretty good but and then i say okay what do i want for my next transition to be and then i would do probably at least two more to just okay the first one was crooked the second one i want straighter and if the second one's straighter great and the third by the by the time the third one rolls around, if it's even straighter, even better, then I'm done with that, right? Then I move on, go the other side or, or whatever. But I want to I ensure that as I'm doing transitions, that something is being accomplished. And as long as that's, that is, you know, as long as the transition gets better from the first one to the third one, or maybe it's the sixth one, then I'm okay with it. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it just has to be a little bit better. And then, you know, do, do it, some other transitions on the other side. And then I, you know, make a new plan, whether I'm going to go to leg yield or, or whatever. So, you know, I don't have a set plan for I'm going to do 50 transitions throughout my ride, but I'm going to say I'm going to be accomplishing something with my transitions. And for sure, for the upper level horses, I I, uh, really make sure that for every half halt that I give, I get a response. Otherwise, it becomes a tra- you know a transition after you know so if if i'm going along and trot i want to give a little half halt to rebalance the horse in a corner you know that's where i'm normally giving half halts and something happens i'm happy if nothing happens then of course i'm going to come right back down to walker or, or a halt so again this is idea of transitions with a purpose and i think as long as you're doing that within your ride you, you, you're teaching the horse something and they're becoming better balanced and they're becoming better in tune to the riders and and you'll have a better, 
you know, the next ride and then 10 rides after the horses get stronger and, 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 and that's a progressive training, but I'm not just doing transitions for the sake of doing them. I think right. really pointless. The well, horse doesn't learn anything. I love you. Progressive training through, you know, through transitions is really important. And the fact that they are good and useful transitions, I think is fantastic. Hey, Phil, just real quick. You said at at the beginning of backwards aids, you're meaning going backwards, right? When you say that. I'm going if they have, if they're in a certain, you know, if the rhythm is too fast and I give an aid to slow it down, that they slow down. If they're in trot and I want to walk, I can accomplish yeah, uh, a downward a downwards transition and or a halt, you know. So that's fantastic. Me, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think I knew what you meant, but I, I wasn't sure if. Yeah, else. yeah, yeah. No, cool. so I always think of the leg as a forward aid and contact, or you know, a half halt tightening of the, of your core muscles as a backwards aid. Those are you know, so that you can, and you know, it's like it's like getting in a car. I want to make I want to make sure that the gas pedal works and the brake pedal works. Right. I'm not going to get going and, and, and driving and turning and, you know, if, if those two things don't work. So, yeah, that's I try and break it down to the basics right, you know, in the beginning of the ride. Fantastic. Well, I love it. Well, great question, Lisa. And as always, everyone, feel free to send us Facebook messages. We love it and we will get them on the show. As always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to contact me is through Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. As always, keep your heels down and your shoulders back and we look forward to talking with you next week.